Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Two Under, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, Making the Game More Fun, Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club. Experience life above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. And my thanks to all of you again for voting for the show, moving us up to number 14 in the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 list for the month of August. Over the last five months, you've taken this show from number 44 to 39 to 31 to 16 and now number 14. I appreciate you all so very much. Please keep voting by going online to podcastmagazine.com and clicking on Hot 50. Tonight, we've got a great show on tap for you. Our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, is back. Tonight, TP and I will talk a lot about dealing with pressure and how to come to grips with it. And isn't it just a part of the game that you sign up for when you decide to play the game at the highest level? We'll also talk about the vaccination issue. Should the tour require players to get vaccinated if they want to play? And if PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan needs to get involved in the Brooks and Bryson ongoing rivalry, the jeering from the fans seems to escalate from week to week. Maybe it's time that Jay Monahan steps in and puts an end to all of that. We'll hear what TP thinks when he joins me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a visit from Allison Fillmore. Allison is the executive director of the Tour Championship. We'll learn about her career how she broke through the glass ceiling to become a top executive with several sports franchises, what it's like putting on an event like the Tour Championship, and then some of her favorite moments from being involved with the tournament. Looking forward to having Allison as part of the show. She'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Following her, top instructor Nick Bradley will be making his next On the Tee debut. Nick is one of the top instructors in the game. He's worked with players like Justin Rose, Nick Faldo, and Paul McGinley. He's also got a great video out called the 8-Minute Swing Cheat. We'll talk about that. We'll also hear about what it was like for him working with Justin Rose because he took him from number 125 to number 5 in the world. Plus, we'll also get some putting and chipping tips as well from Nick when he joins me about 45 minutes from now. And then we're going to round out tonight's show with a return visit from Charlie Reimer. I'm going to talk to Charlie about his new show, The Charlie Reimer Golf Show, and some of his recent interviews with people like Jack Nicholas and our good friend Damon Hack, plus Hank Haney. We'll also hear about some of his other favorite moments from doing that show and a number of other shows that he's been involved with. Plus, he's a representative for Play Golf Myrtle Beach. So we'll hear about some of the courses we need to check out when we're up in that area. Looking forward to having Charlie back as part of the show. He'll join me about an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. But before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends up at the McLemore. As you guys know, my buddies and I went there for our annual golf trip, and it was simply amazing. Everything about the place is first class. They've got great accommodations. 
The practice facility is wonderful. The on-premise restaurant, which is called The Craig, has outstanding food and service. And the course lived up to every single expectation that we had for it. I can't say enough great things about it, folks. Go online to themaclemore.com to see how spectacular the place is for yourself. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones and our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley, who's also going to be back on the show here in a couple of weeks. He said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why we're all saying that by going online and checking out the course and the resort at themaclemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends at TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sand or flop shot? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the all-new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need it at high over the trees, under or even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Folks, if you live in or anywhere near Virginia, West Virginia, or the Washington, D.C. area, go see Tom at Farmington Country Club in Charlottesville, Virginia and let Tom help take your game to new heights. If you can't go see him in person, download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing through the app. He can help get you dialed in that way as well. Please check out his website, TomPatry.com, and give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram, at TomPatryGolf. Don't forget to subscribe to his YouTube channel, where you can catch well over 150 free playing lessons now, and it's always an honor to have TP as part of the show. Hey, Tom, how are you, my friend? Chrissy Boy! Best way to start a show ever. How are you, TP? I'm good, Chrissy Boy. What's going on, big man? Have you played any golf this week? No, I played zero golf this week. What? I'm telling you. Nah, I know. It's no good. I got, I got issues, Tom. I got issues. I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta take care of my issues and get back out on the golf course. (laughs) You do have issues, no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd agree with that. That's what I love yeah. about you. I got, I got you beat that before. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Good to know. ITV, right, I want to get right into it tonight. We got a lot of things we need to cover. And I got to start mm-hmm. with getting your thoughts on the COVID issues that are starting to ramp back up and, and some players not wanting to get vaccinated. Your thoughts? Should the tour or organizations and other sports, like you know, NFL's getting ready to, to get kicked off as well? Do they need to take a hard line on this and require anyone who wants to play inside the ropes to get vaccinated, or does that infringe on the player's right to choose? What do you think? Well, I think you're walking a really fine line here, Chris. I mean, personally, I think I don't understand with what we've been through in the last 18 or 20 months of our lives why anybody wouldn't want to be vaccinated. But that's, that's my only, that's all my own personal opinion. I understand the right to choose, but now when your right to choose causes or endangers somebody alongside of you, well, that, that's a different issue. I just, I just got a, an email from a, a senior mini tour in Florida where the <laughs> commissioner of this little mini tour, who's, who's a PGA professional 
basically sent out an email and said, guys, if you want to play, you have to be vaccinated because I'm not getting in the car with you if you're not. So if you don't like it, go play somewhere else. That's a pretty hard line, but I, I understand the point. I, you know, with, with this, with this new, this new mutation, everything's going to, as a matter of fact, it's just, you know, my, being vaccinated. My wife and I are both vaccinated and she tested positive last week. Um, luckily, wow. symptoms were not too bad. She was sick for a couple of days, you know, kind of a severe flu-like thing. And basically what the doctor said to her, if she hadn't been vaccinated, it, it could have been, you know, not, not a good situation. So the fact that she was really, you know, kept, kept the infection and, and the conditions to a minimum. So yeah, I think that, you know, the PGA Tour, professional sports, people back in arenas, People in closed quarters, you know, people playing football and tackling each other and being in each other's face and grill. I gotta believe you gotta take a hard line on that. Tom, I want to get your thoughts on on something else that has uh, been very topical lately, and that's pressure taking its toll on players. Matthew Wolf immediately comes to mind. He stepped away from the game for a while earlier this year. Um, but pressure has always been a part of any game, especially when you're at the top of a leaderboard, particularly then if it goes even higher when you're at the top of a leaderboard in a major. Talk about dealing with the pressure that comes with competing at the highest level. Listen, I don't want to belittle Matthew Wolf's situation. I don't know his exact condition or what's going on on the what's called the mental side of his existence as a professional athlete. But, Chris, you know, I... If anybody out there who feels like they're still coming to the pressures of being a professional athlete, it's too much for them. Uh, if they want to trade places, I'd like to take their place tomorrow. Uh, you know, I, my, my whole life as, as a, as a youngster and as a college player, the dream was playing on the PGA tour, uh, got to the finals of two European tour schools, missed by one and three. Um, I, I remember the pressure coming down the stretch in both those tour schools, knowing I was pretty close. Um, I had trouble breathing, <laughs> but I, I, I go, go do it tomorrow and maybe cut off my right arm to have a chance to do it again. Um, so I don't really understand, you know, you get to that level, you, you, you knew what you were trying to do and achieve and you had this goal your whole life and you get there and hey, listen, Chris, you're playing some millions of dollars on the greatest golf courses in the world and the best conditions you can possibly ask for against the greatest players in the world. I don't think it's pressure. I think it's a privilege. You know, uh, I don't quite understand. What, what did you expect it to be? An easy road? Uh, I'm not sure I'm, I'm swallowing all that stuff. So let's take that a half a step further. You're right. I mean, I know I've seen and heard Mr. Nicholas talk about that pressure, to your point, is a privilege. And that's that's sort of what you're playing for, right? You're playing for that pressure feeling because if you're not, then, then, then why are you out there, right? I mean, we we know what it must feel like. We don't. I mean, I don't know what it feels like, particular to to come down the stretch of a a Masters, a U.S. Open, an Open Championship, a PGA, a Players, heck, a regular tour event, knowing you have an opportunity to win and what that must feel like. But that is why you're there, right? I mean, isn't that the the ultimate goal? You want to be on 17 or 18 at Augusta National. Tied for the lead, a one-stroke lead, you know, down one with the opportunity to win. And I, again, I'm not belittling Matthew Wolf or anybody else that is dealing with, um, uh, you know, some 
mental issues around, you know, being involved in the sport for many, many years and all that sort of thing. I, I guess what I'm trying to just really understand or make a point uh, that you made is that is why you're there. Ultimately, you want that pressure. And if that is something that once you've been in that arena that you decide, boy, that I, I don't know that I can handle that. Isn't that time to want to go do something else? Yeah, I think it absolutely is time to go do something else. You know, and if if you want to, if any of those guys who feel that way on tour want to get a, you know, an idea about the other side, they should work in the pro shop for about 80 hours a week, folding shirts and batting scorecard, and then make a decision whether they want to go back on tour and play professional golf again. Um, you know, I, I played you know mini tours for eight years of my life, Chris, and chased it around the world. I played overseas quite a bit and played the South African tour, and that rush every time you step on the first tee. In a, in a quality event was was what I always embraced and lived for. I mean, that was that was that was a high, a much higher than any drug could ever give you. So I I embraced that feeling. I thought that was the greatest feeling you could possibly have. And plenty of plenty of times I came down stretching the golf cart and, and couldn't breathe very well, and my throat was dry, and my hands were trembling. But that was that was what you wanted to do. That's what you were lived for. That's you. That's you. You embraced that feeling. So. I have a hard time with these men and women today in different sports. Matt is one that comes to mind, but there's other people heard about the last couple of weeks about how hard it is and how, how pressure packed it is. Well, that's, that's what professional sports is. You know, if you're not signing up for that, then, then go do something else. Tom, could, could part of this be, and we've seen this sort of grow over the generations in golf, but now what? players are out there. That, well, they've got entourages. You've got sponsors. You've got, you know, not just the sponsors that, you know, the name on the golf bag and, and your golf ball, but your shirts and the names all over your shirts. These guys are becoming like NASCAR drivers because there's logos all over the place. So has the growth of the sport with respect to sponsors and this swing coach and that mental coach and all these other folks that are in their entourages now made it more difficult for the players and sort of expedited or, you know, uh, exponentially grew the amount of pressure that they're under. So it's different. Does that, does that play into it at all? Chris, what do you think a top 20 player or a top, top 50 player Gets paid when somebody flashes something on his left left breast on a shirt, <laughs> or on on a millions, shirt I'm sure. Yeah, so I mean, that that's pressure. So before I tee it up, before I make a cut, before I hit a shot up the first tee, before I have a three footer downhill left or right, I've got something on my left sleeve, something on my chest, something on my hat, you know, something on my ass, something on my golf bag, and and they're paying me. And a lot of different sponsors are paying me a lot of money for this. And so before I hit a shot, I'm basically financially secure. You know what, Chris? Bring it on. Give me give me another. Turn the clock back 40 years. Let's do this again. Let's <laughs> uh, switch gears a little bit, DP. Um, you're a member of the Titleist Advisory Board. And, and if you were in charge of the brand and you had a player like Bryson, that it just recently said in a press oh, conference boy. that your driver sucks. And knowing how much time your team, your engineers had devoted to 
try to create the perfect driver for him. All those hours, all those dollars, all that R and D spent. And he's not a he's not a kid now. I mean, I I don't know if some of us are you know. Well, he's just a young kid. Well, I mean, I guess in the grand scheme of things, he is. But guess what? He's about to turn twenty eight years old on September sixteenth. Would would you pull him aside, Tom, and calmly say to him, "Hey, you know what? I know you're frustrated. I know it was a tough round. I know you were still in sort of the heat of the moment when you went into the press conference. But remember, we're working hard for you, and together we're going to figure this thing out." Or do you pull him aside and you say, "Hey, take what?" Take take a look. Take one last look at that golf bag because it's coming with me. Good luck finding a new equipment spot. Well, Chris, I don't want to put titles on the spot because I don't want to speak to titles. I don't want to put Cobra on the spot who Bryson obviously represents. And let's say it was the Tom Patrick Golf Club Company and we had that experience on worldwide TV during a major. I had that player in the contract in my golf company. I can promise you, I can promise you, before you dotted the T's, dotted the I's and crossed the T's, I would have his agent on the phone, and I would tell him that the ship has now sailed. Have a nice day. Get lost. That is, I've never in our sport, and I'm 62 years old, I've never in our sport heard a player belittle his equipment company on worldwide TV during a major and blame the equipment for his ineptitude on the golf course on that occasion. You know what? He's gone. Tom, part of me feels like we have whiners like Bryson because they grew up getting participation trophies. We don't want little Billy to be upset that he didn't get a trophy, even though he finished last, so we have to give him a trophy too. Have we raised a generation of expectant people who feel like if they whine, they're going to get whatever they want. I don't think there's any doubt about it. When I first heard in the business at a club I previously worked at uh, that had a pretty that that I had actually had taken part in building a pretty extensive junior program that the member committee attached to the junior program wanted to make sure that every kid that participated, and we're talking about a couple hundred kids now, had to leave with a trophy because they participated. I, I, I didn't quite understand what they were saying to me as a concept. I never heard of anything like that before at that time. This was back in the mid to early 90s. Um, it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. And, you know, it's funny. As I talk to parents of junior players, there's a clear division, pretty clear division between parents that feel like a participation trophy is a really good thing and, and the other side of it, you know, it's kind of a 50-50. The other half of the parents feel like, it's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. You reward excellence, and the kids that don't win a trophy have to learn how to go play better and, and step up. And, and that's that's how the real world works, or used to work anyway. I think we I think we've done a real disservice, a real disservice to the generations behind you and I, and you're younger than me, and behind you, in allowing that kind of a mentality to evolve in this country. Tom, let's talk a little Brooks and Bryson in that situation. Fans were jeering Bryson again last weekend, Colin and Brooksy, of course. Could we see this rear its ugly head during the Ryder Cup if Bryson starts playing poorly, or even if he doesn't? Could our fans, the U.S. fans, join in with the European fans, who I'm sure are going to be Colin and Brooksy trying to get in his head from the get-go? But could we have this become a situation where 
our fans and the European fans pair together, and that really gives the European team an advantage. Yeah, I I, I think we mentioned this a, a show or two ago too. We touched on this lightly because you know I I feel I actually really feel sorry for Steve Stricker to uh, to inherit this group of knuckleheads. You got you got you know Brooksy, <laughs> Brooksy's Brooksy, Bryson is clearly Bryson, and you throw Patrick Reed in the mix. Um, and, and then on the other side, you, you know, guys like Poulter are going to wind them up. You, you know, they're going to wind the crowd up and stuff. And, and, and if I was Poulter, I'd be doing the same thing. Um, the only thing the U.S. team thank God for is that Trevi's not alive right now because I would really throw some gas on the fire. But, um, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, the Bryson is, listen, uh, Brooksy actually makes me laugh in some respects, although he's, you know, a little bit of a knucklehead. And Patrick Reed, I have no time for at all. But Bryson is an absolute child. He's a, he's a man child, and and you know he, he, the fact that he reacts to any of this, and he and he he makes it worse for himself. Not talking to the press, the slow play situation, the thing with Cobra. I mean, can can he bury himself any deeper, Chris? What about the guy? If if you're strict, and who are you pairing him with? Because. <laughs> Whoever that guy is, right? That that guy's got to deal with his playing partner, and, and you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Bryson's going to get a little upset. I think that yeah, obviously the fans are going to be jeering him there as well. At least the European fans, if not our own. And now you've got to try to play alongside this guy, hearing all of that stuff, seeing how he's being affected by it, and and I would imagine it's got to start affecting your ability to play too, does it not? I I gotta believe that Stricker has already. I mean, I, I have to believe Stricker has already gone around to all the potential candidates, both in terms of picks and guys who are already in on points on that team, and asked them their thoughts about playing with different people. And certainly, Bryson is one of the names that would probably come up. And I have to believe that universally, he's gotten a big fat no from everybody. I I prefer not to, but if I have to for the team, I would. Uh, I'm sure some guys have said flat out, no, don't put me with him. Um, and we haven't even mentioned the slow play situation too, uh, which will be, right. you know, which could be, which could be extremely painful as his partner, right? Um, picture that in an alternate shot format. Oh my God. Um, you know, <laughs> I, it, 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 the, the, the possibilities are absolutely endless as far as how big of a, a fiasco would be. You know, Strix got his hands. Maybe, maybe the toughest coaching situation, captain situation leading into a Ryder Cup in the history of the Ryder Cup. Do you put he and Patrick Reed together? Are they sort of made for one another? They could both wear the black hat, right? You got the cheater and just, the guy everybody hates. I mean, that seems like maybe that's the perfect pairing. You, you, you said it, Chris. Not me. I, I, what I would actually do is I'd put Patrick Reed and Bryson in a, on a raft and push it out into the Atlantic um, <laughs> during an incoming hurricane. That's, that's what it should be put. But, but yeah, I mean, that'd, be, that'd be a dream pairing. What a dream pairing that is. Huh? Can you imagine? Does PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan need to get involved to put an end to this thing now? Do other players need to pull Brooks and Bryson aside to tell them to stop pushing this along? Or is this tr- just part of the game now? Or does, like I say, does Monaghan need to get involved and say, you know what, enough's enough? No, no, I, Chris, you're absolutely right. I think that I think it, when it was really a Brooks Bryson thing, it was kind of amusing. 
But and I was really surprised. I listened to Harris English comments that he wasn't a little bit more uh, forthcoming, if you will. You know, in terms of his, you know, he had to be pretty pissed off with the whole situation. Uh, and 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 listen, Bryson clearly affected him. Clearly affected him in that in that in that back on that back nine. Um, yeah, I think Monahan does have to step in at some point. It's, it's gotten out of hand. It's 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 now affecting. And the reason he's got to step in is it is like you said, is now affecting other players and their livelihoods. It's affecting their performance. It's affecting their ability to make a living. Uh, and and when it does that to players outside their little bubble of, of Brooks and Bryson, then then something has to be said or done. You know, so I I think it's about that time. Yeah, it's, it's gotten to that point now. TP, before I let you go, I um I saw a little something on Instagram. It looks like we might have a uh, a little uh, revival of the Tom Patry Instagram show. Yeah, we're gonna do a little show on I think it's the fifteenth. Am I right about that, Chris? I don't even know. I, I think you are right uh, about that. It, 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 yeah, I've got uh, Martin Chuck, who I've developed a relationship with through through social media. I don't know Martin personally, uh, but I have a lot of regard for him. Um, we're going to spend an hour together, I think on the 15th at 8 p.m. Um, a wonderfully talented guy. And one of the things I really want to talk to him a lot about, he had a very, very strong relationship with George Newsom, the incredible Canadian player who's, who Hogan called one of the best ball strikers he's ever seen. And, and Martin grew up with George Newton, Newsom as a student, and knew him very well until he passed away way too early at the age of 51 of cancer. Um, and Newsom has always been a, a, a big time study of mine. Uh, an incredible ball striker, incredible ball striker, and and Martin, uh, you know, cut his teeth learning from from Newton. So I'm I'm really interested to talk about that. And Martin's also not only a great teacher and a great coach, but he's an inventor. Obviously, he came up with the score striker ball and, and some other gadgets. So I, I, you know, just a really fascinating guy, guy very talented out in the uh, Phoenix Scottsdale area. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. And Tom, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's uh, on your website or it's on social media. Yeah, Chris, it's, you know, just TomPatry.com and then all the obvious places, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and then with right here with you, Chris, every other week at eight o'clock, uh, the man <laughs> next month. How about that? How about that podcast rating? How about that? Let's talk about that for a second, dude. You came from the ashes. And you're about to crack the top ten, <laughs> heading for the top of the mountain. You're the man. <laughs> I am very fortunate to have great guests like Tom Patry and my next oh, guest, Allison Fillmore and Nick Bradley, and all all the wonderful guests that I'm uh, privileged to get to talk to on a weekly basis. It's uh, you put guests like that out there, and and eventually people will Dude, listen. Stop being so humble. You do a hell of a job. You're the best in the business. We love you. All of us love you. We talk about you behind your back. With only praise, you're the best, man. The best. Uh, I love you, TP. I appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for coming back and being a part of the show again this week. Look forward to catching up with you in a couple of weeks in between now and then, my friend. Stay safe and all the best uh, to you and to your students. Thanks, pal. Thanks for having me on, Chris. See you, Tom. That's the great Tom Patry. Again, you follow him online. TomPatry.com is his website, P-A-T-R-I. And at Tom Patrick Golf on Twitter and Instagram. And check out that YouTube page, folks. I'm telling you, well over 150 now. Free lessons for you to go out there and watch on his, uh, on his YouTube page. So go out there, check it out and subscribe while you're there.
Okay, before I get to my next guest, Allison Fillmore, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. Okay, now joining me is Allison Fillmore. Allison is the Vice President and Executive Director of the Tour Championship. Prior to her current role, she was the Vice President of Sales for the Atlanta Motor Speedway. She's also been the Vice President of Ticket Sales for the Atlanta Dream, Premium Seat Sales for the Atlanta Falcons, and going all the way back to the late 90s and early 2000s, she was an account manager for the Sacramento Kings and the Cleveland Lumberjacks. She earned her bachelor's degree in sports administration at Ohio University, and I'm thrilled to have her with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Allison, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Chris. Wow, I should have you like read my bio all the time. That was good. <laughs> Glad to do it. And speaking <laughs> of reading, Allison, I read that you grew up playing racquetball and you were actually on the U.S. national team. Talk about that. Yeah, it was so much fun. It's actually where I really started to fall in love with the business of sports. It's what made me curious about sports and want to be involved in it. So. When I was playing, I would always think about how a tournament was run or what went into it, and I wanted to do more. So that's how I really kind of sought out the sports industry and sports business side of things. Where did the love of racquetball start, and just sports in general for that matter? So my mom played tennis, and I went and played tennis with her, and she got to the point where she was so good, she was beating the guys at the club. and. Ended up starting to play racquetball, and I followed my mom along and, and picked up a racket and started to play. Now, I played sports throughout, like growing up, volleyball, basketball. Um, never was really great at them, played softball. Uh, but racquetball was just something that I, I played, and I played very well. It was easy for me to train, and... Uh, you know, you're kind of locked in a little room, so you don't have very far to go, but you can really <laughs> run a ton in racquetball and got to train at the Olympic Training Center and and really, really wow. uh, enjoyed every moment of what it what it did for me. I picked it up a little bit once I had my first, uh, right before I had my first daughter, and then I haven't really played in a long time. So 
I would love to pick it back up one day. But now I'm trying to play golf, so, you know, you got to worry about one way. (laughs) So where did that come from? Did did golf just come along when the Tour Championship opportunity came about, or did it come before that? No, actually, it's funny. I had been taken to play golf at Eastlake from from prior clients. So I had I started playing I started playing uh, golf when I really started getting into business. I understood that this is a game where deals get done on the golf course and business is done uh, when you are swinging the club. So I started to to really pick it up and ultimately I, I really started a little bit heavier into golf probably about ten fifteen years ago. But now I'm I'm taking lessons once a week. So I really have learned to love the game. So as you mentioned, as we look ahead to uh, the Tour Championship and East Lake and all of that, boy, I tell you what, um, very excited about the tournament this year. It's the first week of September. For those who have never been to East Lake, it's a fantastic golf course, folks. The hospitality you receive there is awesome. It's second to none. Uh, Allison, talk to talk to our listeners about what they can expect once they walk through the gates for the tour championship. Well, thank you for that lovely compliment. You know, we are in the South, so we try to provide some great Southern hospitality. But ultimately, we want to make sure that we're offering something for everyone because ultimately, we want our tournament to reflect what the city of Atlanta looks like. So when we are planning for our event, you know, some great things that come to mind. You've got a great golf course, such history, home course of Bobby Jones, first place he played, last place he played, and to really create the opportunity to build an event around this tournament is is what we've kind of done. And so when you walk onto the grounds, you see the beautiful clubhouse in front of you with a lake. We flip the entrance, enter on the back side of the course. And then it kind of splits the the uh, back nine from the front nine. And to the left, if you walk in, you've got the So Cool Zone. It's a great interactive zone with many great food partners like Henri's Bakery and Universal Joint. Uh, we have, you know, great hospitality anywhere from just a upgraded hospitality ticket to a full-on, you know, private dining experience and celebrity chef experience in the 1904 club. So like I said, there's something for everybody at the golf course. And then, then you include the families too. The Georgia Aquarium is there. Uh, you get to pet little alligators <laughs> in the so cool zone. <laughs> you know, you have the opportunity to, um, to do an activation with the first tee. But then across the way, you've got, you know, the Maestro Dobell deck for, you know, those that like to sit back and relax and have a nice cocktail and watch golf. So, a lot of different things for every type of person at the Tour Championship. So one of the things that I've liked in the past when I've gone to, to the uh, tournament is, and you talk about reflecting the city of Atlanta, it's the food. I mean, talk about yeah. the, Atlanta, the Atlanta flavor that you have there. The food's outstanding. You know, the, the food is outstanding. And ultimately, we've created these different pockets on the golf course that are little desk. So Universal Joint, someone that's been with us since the beginning, he, you know, has a restaurant indicator and, you know, we thought it would be great to kind of build off that. So 
working with some other local restaurants, especially for our 1904 club. For example, the new Lake and Oak barbecue that down in Eastlake, they are curating some really VIP type meals for our 1904 club. Um, we'll have cooks and soldiers there. We'll have, uh, we've got Linton Hopkins, um, that will be a celebrity chef. We've got Chris Hall from local Korean war horse. I mean, you name it, we have, we have it at this golf course. You know, we really understood that there was a high end need to really put together this VIP product. And, you know, for the access and such, we knew that we had to bring in the best of the best of Atlanta. So, and that's exactly what we did, you know, working with restaurants like Yabo Beach House and Biltong Bar, you know, those hip places that everyone wants to get into in Atlanta, and they're all under one roof right here. Speaking of barbecue, and uh, I've had the privilege of having uh, Eastlake's president and general manager, Chad Parker, on the show a few times in the past. And I know he and Stuart Sink are, are, are big friends. I know Stuart is going to pretty much, he's pretty much a lock for the top 30 and be playing in the tournament. But the two of them have paired up to be pretty darn good at the barbecue thing. Are you gonna, you guys get the opportunity to have those guys cook for you? I have once or twice. Uh, Chad and Stewart will put together, um, an operation to cook for an event that they have at Eastlake called Party on the Green, um, and Eastlake Invitational. So they've done that a couple of times before. In fact, I had the opportunity to be with Stewart. He was our guest at Media Day and he's, He's so superstitious. It was it was really cute because he would not say that he's at Tour Champ yet. He goes, you know, I'm I'm still, you know, I'm I'm. He was 17th in points at that point, and he's like, you know, Allison, don't jinx me, don't jinx me. So we didn't talk about it too much, but I really do uh, hope that he can make it to Eastlake because man, I mean, he's a member there. That's his club, and I know that it'd be really special for Chad too. Allison, for any of the fans that uh, that want to come to the tournament and are looking forward to it, we know we've sort of got the the COVID thing sort of looming over all of our heads a little bit. What precautions yeah. are you guys going to take and uh, to put everyone's mind at ease that everything's going to be all right? You know, we are, well, first off, great question. Uh, right now, we are really making sure that we follow the CDC guidelines on everything that we're doing. So spread out throughout the course, we're going to have hand sanitizing stations. We are capped at a specific attendance due to we are a special event in the eyes of the mayor's office. So we do have a, an attendance cap. So I would I would warn people to go out and get their tickets now because you don't know what's going to happen. We're getting close. Um, but, you know, fans will have to wear masks inside of venues. Um, that is something that's important. Atlanta's under our mask mandate. So we are making sure that we are sticking to exactly what the CDC guidelines provide to us safest, um, safest experience to our fans possible. And Allison, it's got to be a monumental task to put together and coordinate events of this size. What are some of the things that, that you have to handle that maybe a lot of us would be surprised and, you know, like, wow, really? You have to do that? What are some of the things that we might not be thinking about that you have to think about in order to pull this off? Wow, that's a really good question. Uh, so from the time, you know, the the guys get the course, 
it's everything in between, right? So we handle logistics of picking up players at the airport, you know, making sure that we have parking lots lined up for people that are parking, making sure we have the liquor license set up so that way you can have all those yummy cocktails on course. There's so many different things that that falls within our job description put on such a massive event. It's really quite interesting. And I feel like I learned something new every day because of it. You know, we had, we have to build a city basically out on the golf course. And that starts in June. That's when our build starts. So we are out every single day, you know, spotting locations, talking about where we're going to put this. You know, just it's logistically, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy to, you know, sit down and plan out what this golf course is going to look like on June 1 and then on September 1. It, it is a completely different location. So agronomy, you know, a big thing. Gosh, God bless Ralph Keppel. He is one of the best men out there. He does such a great job for Eastlake. And, you know, what they do on a daily basis, I'm, I'm absolutely floored about. But, you know, I do anything from I will pick up garbage. <laughs> I, I run around and then I, I hand a trophy to a winner. So it's, <laughs> I, I run the gamut of job duties throughout tour championship week and leading up to, but it's what makes my job so much fun and makes it different every single day. I, I pinch myself all the time. I'm the luckiest girl in the world. And Allison, you've been in this role now for over four years, and I've got to imagine you've got some really fun stories, either about something that happened during the tournament, something that happened with some of the players. What are some of your favorite stories that you share with your friends about being a part of this? I have to go to first. Uh, my first tournament was 2018 that I was running, and that was the tournament that Tiger won. Uh, I, I have to say that and I've said this before, next to my kids being born and getting married, that was one of the coolest, most exciting days of my life. Being there, the crowd kind of rushed the green, and then Rory and, and him, they parted the Red Sea and kind of came through. It was it was amazing. Um, you know, and then in 2019, you know, an unfortunate tragedy happened and, and a tree was struck by lightning and people were hurt. So it, it, I mean, your job runs the gamut. You've got these highs and then you've got these lows and you've got to kind of try and make sure you stay right in the middle. 2020, we had a pandemic and didn't have a fan in sight. So I'm hoping for a really calm 2021. <laughs> but, <laughs> Dr. Bob Jones IV is a great friend of the show. I've been privileged to have Doc on many times. Two years ago, my son and I had the privilege of being on the grounds at the tournament for the opening rounds, and we got to see Doc hit the ceremonial tee shot. And as you mentioned, uh, Bobby Jones and his, grew up there and, uh, and all of that. Talk about the Jones family and then the awesome responsibility it is of holding a tournament on the course that uh, that essentially Bobby Jones built. Wow, that that's a big question. Um, well, first off, the Jones family, they are absolutely amazing. Bob and Mimi are, they, I could call them anytime and they would stop what they're doing and, and help out in a second. They're just part of our family at Tour Championship and 
We couldn't do what we do without his knowledge and his history. He's so amazing just to sit down and listen to. I could listen to him for hours. In fact, I talked to him Same. a couple of days ago. He's he's one of my favorite people. Um, but then to host this event at the home of Bobby Jones and with all the history that oozes from this tournament, the 1963 Ryder Cup last playing captain of Arnold Palmer. You have all these amazing replica trophies from all the different tournaments, uh, the greats of Bobby Jones and Alexa Sterling and Watts Gunn and seeing the, you know, the Charlie Harrison. Charlie Harrison is my neighbor. Um, so just to hear his stories about this area, you know, I moved East Lake because I really wanted to be a part of the community, but also the history was something that just enamored me. In fact, you know, I, I friends with the folks that actually live on the grounds of where Bobby Jones' home was when he was growing up. So it's 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 a it's such an honor to be able to put on the one of the toughest tournaments out there, the one that determines the top player on the PGA Tour and offers $15 million, but also being the home of Bobby Jones, our tagline is, it ends where it all began, and, and it couldn't be more true. Allison, just a couple more before I let you go. And the Tour Championship sure. and, and the Eastlake Golf Club, they do a lot for the first tee, and then you mentioned the community. You do a lot for the surrounding community. Talk about how the tournament gives back. Oh my gosh, you you need an hour for this one. I'm sorry, Chris. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love the fact that the PGA Tour gives so much money back. The PGA Tour gives more money back than the top four sports combined. We celebrated $3.2 billion in totality from the PGA Tour, but the tournament itself has given back over $38 million to the Eastlake Foundation, Purposeville Schools Atlanta, Focus Community Strategies, the Grove Park Foundation, and the First Tee of Metro Atlanta. I am lucky enough to be involved in many of those organizations where I am a proud board member of the First Tee of Metro Atlanta. I'm a proud board member for the Drew Charter School, which is right here in Eastlake's backyard. My kids go to the school. It, it, it's so important for me that we really focus on this neighborhood and can Continue the work that's being done here. While everyone sees Eastlake now as this vibrant area that that is one of the most sought after locations in Atlanta, 20 years ago wasn't that case. This club was just beat down. Uh, Tom Cousins bought it in 1994. There was a place across the street called the Eastlake Meadows. It was uh, average age of a grandma was 32 years old. So he came in and decided that he wanted to buy the golf club, revitalize the area, and then have a PGA Tour event here. And he brought Tim Fincham here and said, we want to have this event. And from what I understand the story, when I think Tim laughed and said, there's no way we're going to have a PGA Tour event here. And then a couple of years later, we did. So it has been... It's still a very vibrant, it's still a changing area. The work is being done, but it still needs to continue in order to change this, you know, generational wealth gap. So um, it's 
it's really important, this work that we do. And we're so excited that one, we have fans back this year to help with those proceeds, but two, to really continue to see the growth in these neighborhoods because they still need our support. They really do. Allison, I know you're from Cleveland. I'm from Pittsburgh. So Uh I know, you know, you, you're being from Cleveland's not your fault. That's your parents' fault. So I don't blame you for that. (laughs) But I, I got to get your thoughts on, on your Cleveland Browns and uh, what your expectations are this season. Oh, I'm so excited. I mean, we were so close last year. I mean, and, and just being a Browns fan, I was happy with that. I mean, we have, (laughs) <laughs> struggled, struggle bus. I mean, that is the Cleveland Browns. You know, I'm hoping Baker can, you know, really do something for us this year. I, I, I'm excited about the season. I think that they're, what do they have to lose at this point? So, um, I'm, I'm pretty excited for them. I really am. Well, what do you think about your Steelers? Not good. I, I'm not, I'm not optimistic going into the season. I lost too many players. Ben's too old. The offensive line is terrible. They're all just young. They're not terrible. They're young. It's going to take them a while. I don't have high expectations for this season. First time in a long time. I haven't thought the Steelers were going to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not feeling very confident for this season. Uh, I, Allison, I, let I'm not going to tell know. you that it's making me smile. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm, it's making me smile that you're saying that. So, <laughs> No doubt. Allison, let our listeners know about uh, how they can get tickets, you know, the few tickets that are left and they need to hurry up and get them, how they can do that and then follow all the great things that you're doing uh, online and on social media. Sure. You want to go to tourchampionship.com and click on tickets. We do have some areas that are sold out already, so make sure to get online and purchase those tickets if you want to come out. We are, the event is September 1st to the 5th at Eastlake Golf Club in Atlanta, Georgia. And you can follow all of our awesome social handles by looking at at Playoff Finale. So that's Playoff Finale, yes, three F. (laughs) And that's on Twitter, that's on Instagram, and on Facebook. Well, Allison, it has been a thrill having you as part of the show. You're fantastic. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. Chris, it's been so fun to be here. Thank you so much for having me, and I would absolutely love to join you again. Ah, you're the best. Good luck. All the best uh, with you, your family, and at the Tour Championship. I'll, I'm hoping to get out there and see it in person, but uh, if, if not, I will certainly be watching. But uh, stay safe, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Chris. Have a great evening. Thanks. Take care, Allison. That is Allison Fillmore. And again, the Tour Championship, folks, if you've never been, it's a wonderful event. The food, fantastic. And everything else around the tournament, um, the access, get, again, only the top 30 players are there, right? So the field isn't huge. So you really get to be close to the top 30 players in the world, which is wonderful. And um, like I say, everything else about the event, everything around it, the vendors, the people, the hospitality, all, all spectacular. So go online, get your tickets, and then uh, let me know. Let me know what you thought about the tournament and what it was like. I look forward to hearing your feedback. All right, before I get to my next guest, Nick Bradley, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver, 
I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Square's golf shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com and get Square's 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to give a shout out to another new sponsor, Bionic Gloves. Do what you do better with Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicLoves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And I want to remind you about our friends over at Zexio. Back in 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. I was fit for a set of Zexio 10 irons by a great fitter on their staff. He got me dialed in, and they feel and perform fantastically. They are by far the best irons I've ever played. They are light. I have picked up nearly 5 miles per hour in swing speed, and they're deadly accurate. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Like I say, everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factors. The best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. Congratulations to Zexio Ambassador N.B. Park for her five-stroke victory earlier this year at the Kia Classic. It was her 21st victory, and she did it using Zexio 11 Woods and X Irons. Ernie Ells and top instructor Martin Hall are Zexio Ambassadors as well. See why and how Zexio can help improve your game. Go online to ZexioUSA.com. That's XXIOUSA.com and pick which set is right for you. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Nick Bradley. Nick is one of the top instructors on the planet. He's originally from London, England, but he's lived here in the States now since 2005. He has helped winners on every major tour. He helped Justin Rose go from number 125 to number 5 in the World Golf Rankings. He worked with Kevin Chappell, who won three times on the Corn Ferry Tour and finished third at the 2011 U.S. Open. He has instructed students to eight national amateur titles juniors to two national titles. He served as key motivational and inspirational director for the 2014 and 2016 European Ryder Cup teams. He's currently working with Nick Faldo and Paul McGinley and our partners over at Squares Golf. He's written four best-selling books, Kinetic Golf, The 50 Secrets to Great Golf You Don't Know Yet, Letters to an Evolving Golfer, and The Seven Laws of the Golf Swing all of which you can find out on Amazon.com. He's been published in just about every major golf publication out there, and it's great to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Nick, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much for having me. Nick, you've done so many great things for the game of golf. 
through your instruction. Take us back to when golf started for you and when you knew that being a golf instructor was what your passion was. Yeah, it was quite a late development, really, for me in my life. I was actually a swimmer from the age of seven through to 21, but took up golf at 16 and um, sort of got fed up competing against 14-year-olds who are a foot taller than me. So it wasn't it wasn't very good in the swimming pool, like diving in and having to make up that extra foot. So I, I took up golf relatively late at 16, but I, I had four friends of mine at school who were all very good players. And in order for me to play with them and catch up and, and get good, I just took loads of lessons. Uh, I uh, read every book. I watched every video. It was the time of Nick Faldo and David Ledbetter. So teaching was uh, was very much in vogue and swing changes and all of that. So I just developed a natural affinity for finding out what one person was doing better than the other, whether that was physical technique or whether that was some sort of thought process or concept of the game at all. And uh, it just led me on a great journey. You know, by the age of 20, uh, I, were, you know, I turned pro at 19. Uh, by the age of 20, I was actually on the European tour teaching already um uh my my player that I was caddying for and it all kind of like took off from there and I moved to America the first time in ninety four, um, understudied David Ledbetter down at Lake Nona and then went back to Europe and did my did my own thing until I moved back out here in oh five. So really it was the fascination of how uh one person can have success doing A B C and another person thinking they're doing A B C doesn't have the success. And it was really trying to identify what the differentials were that fascinated me and still does. Nick, talk about Dr. Paul Morrissey, who he is and what he's meant to you over the course of your career. Paul Morrissey and I go way back um, to when I was doing my preliminary work on the European tour. And uh, he was an osteopath um, in London. And I worked very closely with Paul. Um, on several of the players that I was coaching on the European tour, he had a fantastic uh, relationship and reputation with the players and getting them out of trouble, uh, preventing injury. And it was just really through the study of human physiology and bone structures and certain joints and what have you that I started to realize that everybody's golf swing was really at the mercy of their physiology. Um, and that is, that is a truth. Um, you can only do what your body allows you to do. And so kind of like, you know, when I wrote my first book, The Seven Laws of the Golf Swing, in 2002, I was really the first guy to undress the golfer and let, you know, let's take a look at the sternum. Let's take a look at the capitate joint. Let's look at the ilium at the top of the hip. So I, you know, that book has gone on to sell over 100,000 copies around the world. And I think it's it's done so well in five languages because the imagery and the and the truth of the golf swing is really identified. And it was through that preliminary work in my lit, mid to late twenties with Paul Morrissey that really uncovered um, the fact that you know, as I say, you are at the mercy of your physiology, good or bad, when it comes to your golf swing. And Nick, like I mentioned in your intro, you helped Justin Rose make a quantum leap, go from 125 to number five in the world golf ranking. You mentioned you, your work with David Ledbetter, and he, and he had been working with Ledbetter, but made the switch over to you, and it was 
almost like I, what, from what the timeline looks like, an immediate positive impact. How did you meet Justin? And then what was the, what were some of the things that you must have noticed that helped you step right in and help him make that huge jump? Well, I, I you know, I grew up one county away from Justin. He's from uh, Hampshire and I'm from Surrey uh, back in London. And, um, you know, his reputation had preceded him kind of like in the late 90s playing county and England golf. So kind of like, you know, I, I knew of him, obviously. But it wasn't until 2004, uh, one of my students, Philip Golding, won the French Open on the European Tour. And the next year I was out in South Africa. And I bumped into Justin on the range and he was struggling. And kind of like that, you know, I helped him out a little bit at that tournament. And then, you know, a couple of tournaments subsequently after that in 04 and 05. And it was really, you know, he was, you know, not doing well with David, uh, it has to be said. But, you know, as coaches, we all have times when players do well with us and when they don't do so well. So, you know, it's always an oscillating sort of relationship. But, um I, you know, I had a good rapport with Justin and I felt that I knew uh, what he needed, which was part physical, part mental. So with the physical side, I really, I kind of like changed his swing plane a little bit. I got it a little bit flatter in the left arm and really worked on his transition through the ball. I got it a lot softer with the knees. I, I shallowed the planes of the body. So um, he was less kind of like over the top with his hips and, and getting jammed. And then really with um, his psychology, um, the first, the first tournament I ever went to with Justin, um, you know, he kind of like had pizza and Coke for dinner. Um, so, you know, there was, there was some like reframing to do in terms of, okay, no, you're an athlete. I'm sure Tiger's not doing this, you know, especially at a golf tournament. So I really had to bring in a business plan and a structure, uh, the way that he went about his, you know, he was doing less practice on the range. Under my philosophy, he was doing more kind of like in the hotel room. Uh, I started to do introduce meditation with him where I would actually craft these documents um, where I would like put him under and talk about like the Masters in 2007 or the, you know, US Open at Oakmont or whatever. So I would say, look, this is how you're going to be. This is how we're going to do it. This is how the crowds are going to So I would almost preempt the situation for him. So nothing really shocked him. And so... It was really a, an amalgamation of, you know, a couple of things in the physical domain and a couple of things in the mental domain that kind of like pulled it all together and gave him, uh, you know, a lot of clarity. These, these golfers, when they have no clarity and no direction, that's really when they start chasing shiny objects and going down rabbit holes. So I, I think I provided uh, a, a good a good amount of clarity for him. And Nick, talk about the importance of visualization. Not just, you know, in, in a, in terms of a career and I want to visualize winning a Masters or winning a U.S. Open, but just on the golf course in general, visualizing the shot, visualizing, uh, visualizing the result, those sorts of things. Talk about why that's important. The brain, the brain is really an electronic element. You know, it, it survives off of different brain waves, um, you know, alpha, beta, delta. And, but the most important one in golf is actually a theta wave. And these are all frequencies. It's like, you know, it's like an old radio where you're trying to tune into a station. And you definitely play your best golf when you're tuned into a theta wave. So what is a theta wave? Well, when you start to get your your heart down to a resting heart rate and you start to enter into this theta wave, it's really the best time to 
start visualizing because what it does is it pulls together your visual uh, imagination and what you want from a shot, what you want to be, you know, your body language. So you can craft any image that you want. And under the theta wave influence, it actually starts to speak to your physiology. Now, we've all experienced this because we've all been kind of like almost in a dream state and like woken up, you know, in kind of like a bit of a shock or you've been behind the wheel of a car and you've kind of like, you know, your mind's gone wandering and you've had to pull yourself back together again. Um, so, you know, this, this is something that really people stumble upon, but they really don't have to. So visualization is absolutely critical, but if you blend it with, if you blend it with a certain breathing technique, which then encourages like this theta sort of, um, brainwave, okay, you get into another state, which is called autotelic. And there's one easy word for that, which is flow. So in all of my studies, you know, the easiest part, frankly, Chris, is the golf swing. I mean, we have TrackMan, we have obviously the radars, we have 3D, 4D technology, we have false plates, we have great equipment now. I mean, if you cannot build a world-class golf swing now with or everything at your disposal, you're, you're frankly in the wrong game. So let's leave that off the table. The, the next things that are going to, um, you know, create the next jump start in golf performance will not be golf swing technique. It will be how the mind works, your, you know, your neurology and how you prepare, uh, for each tournament. So, um, you know, the golf swing to me, you know, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to take players to world number one, to European number one, et cetera, et cetera. I would have to say that in all of that, Sure, I made golf swing changes, which was probably 35, 40% of the deal. But it was the knock-on effect, the management strategies that I put in after that, that made them organic business plans and not just golfers. So let's take that a, a step further, Nick. And we talk about the mental side of the game on this show a lot. And in your book, The 50 Secrets to Great Golf That You Don't Know Yet, you talk about <laughs> stoicism. Talk about yeah. what that is and how it can improve our thought process. So with my full-time juniors at Traditions, one of the one of the mantras <clears throat> that's in the classroom is your career is not defined by the people you beat, but by the golf courses you overcome. And Stoicism, one of the key things, takeaways from Stoicism, which, you know, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, and all those guys back in the Roman Empire, one of their main philosophies that really embodied um, uh, stoicism was what you can't, what you can't control, you shouldn't care about. So golf is one of those perfect games where can you control the weather? No, but you can control yourself. Can you control other competitors? No, but you can control yourself. So there's many, many different sort of distractions that golf throws at us. But as long as you see the truth for what it is, and it's me, my 14 club, half a dozen golf balls, and what I bring to the table, what I bring to the golf course, and my knowledge of the golf course, that in a nutshell is the only controllability you have in that situation. Everything else you have to men manage mentally, okay? But you don't concern it. So there are certain things with stoicism, certain wisdoms that I would say the, the, main, the main takeaway from stoicism is efficient thinking, and non-concern and non-worry 
about the things you simply cannot control. That is that is the main takeaway from stoicism. And as I say, my students, you know, embody that with that one phrase, which is your career is not defined by the people you beat, but by the golf courses you dismantle. And Nick, did we see the poor focus kind of play out this past weekend with with Harris English <clears throat> and Bryson DeChambeau? They got they sort of got into uh, you know Bryson with the with the Brooksy things and all that sort of stuff going on, but the focus they get they sort of they started to play poorly. Things started to spiral out of control. They let the outside things sort of come into their world and really start to you could see it started to impact their ability to focus, and then they both played poorly, you know, throughout the back nine. Is that a case where stoicism and a lack of focus really came into play and we watched it happen on Sunday? Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, in those kind of situations, um, that's when that's when a really good wingman or wingwoman uh, on the bag is absolutely critical. I've been so lucky in my career to work with some of the best caddies in the world, whether it be Mickey Doran or Mark Fulcher, Fooch on Justin's bag. You know, I mean, um, you know, even Paul McGinley's Edinburgh Jimmy, who worked for Ed, uh, Ian Poulter early in his career. You know, in those situations where you're walking down that back nine, to have somebody switch your focus from, um, you know, narrow external sort of targets into a wide external where you're switching off. You see, it's, imp- it's impossible to walk around the golf course and have an intense focus all the time. Because simply put, you're burning calories. And if you're burning calories, you know, all of a sudden now you're starting to uh, play under fatigue and, you know, you're producing less serotonin. So you're feeling less good about things. So, you know, fatigue training is actually one of the things that we do quite a bit of. So, you know, to look at the guys on Sunday kind of like losing focus, I, I would say it's probably got less to do with outside of golf course stuff like, you know, the, the Brooks and Bryson show. Uh, but it's certainly, you know, for those people that lose focus on the PGA Tour, that is why communication with your caddy is absolutely fundamental because they can either refocus you or unfocus you. Unfocusing is not a bad thing. Because it, it's less intense and you conserve energy. So look at a great caddy as a, a great jockey. There are sometimes they pull in the rain and sometimes, you know, they have to give them a little clip with the whip there. And so, um, yeah, uh, you know, and, and one last final point on that, apart from the focus, is that a great caddy will keep you on track on how to play the golf course. What was the game plan? And when you take unnecessary risks, Okay, and when the ego says we can push here, when really the hole isn't there for pushing, that's when you get unforced errors. So I'm a great believer. I'm a huge believer in caddies and the role that a caddy can bring to a great player. I think that with a great caddy, two heads are better than one. And I think in that situation we saw on Sunday, I think that's when a, a, a future a Steve Williams really earned their money when they pull the player in and retighten or unfocus, as I've just said, the player's mentality. Nick, just a couple more before I let you go. And you have a very popular instructional video out there right now called the 8-Minute Swing Cheat. And without giving away what's in the video, it involves a joint that we can unlock to get more distance and accuracy. 
Talk about what people are going to learn when they get this video. Yeah, I mean, it really stems back to my work with Paul Morrissey and uh, understanding uh, biomechanics way back in the day before it was even fashionable to talk about it. And so really, you know, my work with Performance Golf Zone or Performance Golf is, is really to take the 30 years of instruction and 30,000 lessons that I've given and, and all of that and kind of like boil it down into the most helpful uh, most helpful instructional program, I guess, that I can give anyone. So basically, I teach the I teach the customers how to number one make sure that they really unlock and uh, uh, unlock their potential by unlocking the the capitate joint. But then the the program goes way deeper than that. It you know it goes into you know creating lag, creating speed, creating dynamics. You know, so that's why it's called the three hundred dis- plus distance system. Is because I mean even today. Uh, I was shooting some video today down in Hilton Head, and we had our first guy today, I mean, had, uh, you know, not a great hold on the golf club, so I really made sure that the handle of the club was in the right part of the hand. I showed him how to unlock that capitate joint, and with no exaggeration, uh, he, he hit it 25 yards further, simply because, again, I repeat myself, your swing is always at the mercy of your physiology or your concept. So, you know, with uh, Performance Golf, I've really enjoyed working with such a professional team there and being able to get my message out with probably the most fundamental, uh, the, the most fundamental thing that you can, um, you can give a golfer, which is the opportunity to maximize potential in every other part of their golf swing. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed the work. Nick, you also partner with one of our friends here on this show, one of our sponsors, Squares Golf. And- for folks who are tuning in for the first time tonight or they don't think a golf shoe can help them add distance, talk about why square shoes actually can. Well, it's amazing. You know, uh, I mean, I was with, uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but I was with the, the biggest shoe manufacturer in the world for 16 years. I was one of their elite staff um, on the advisory panel as well, and that was a great privilege. But I got sent a pair of Squares golf shoes, I guess. Wow, it must have been March 2020 now. And uh, I put them on and I played with them and I simply couldn't believe the stability. For me, it was the stability. Uh, other people will find other benefits. But for me, uh, I've always been fast with my legs and my footwork's always been, you know, a little bit suspect in my golf swing. Um, you know, we all have our faults. And, um, but I can honestly say that with Squares golf shoes, they've got the widest base. They've got patented laces. I mean, the whole thing has been designed around stability and speed. And all, not just somebody's, you know, wacky idea in a laboratory, but working with the, some of the top foot doctors, top, top athletes, people like Jean-Jack Rivet in France. I mean, just absolutely amazing stuff. Um, you know, that I brought to the table as well. You know, I worked with uh, Jean-Jacques Rivet in, in France, you know, with people like Justin Rose and his work with Ian Woosnam and all these fantastic ball strikers. And so all of this really comes down to a golf shoe that is so solid that it harnesses power. There's no wasted energy. Now, if you think about these comfort golf shoes, You've literally, if you, if you can turn it, toss it is what we say. And so you've got like an injection molded sole, which is, you know, it's just literally a piece of rubber. But you've got these, this soft upper, 
Well, that's like we're frankly wearing a pair of flip-flops. You may have a pair of flip-flops with the greatest soul on the planet, but you know, you're never going to be able to move with authority and capture the, the, the forces that you need to put into the ground. So I love my squares. I love working with the company. Uh, Nick Faldo is a really good friend of mine as a student, and I've known Nick for many, many years. And I know Nick would never put his, his name to something that he didn't fully believe in. So, yeah, these golf shoes are truly different and truly a game-changing experience for uh, for the players out there. They, they, they really do feel different, and they perform great. Nick, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing? Check out that video that we were just talking about. Get a copy of your books and follow you on social media as well. Thanks, Chris. Well, my my main following is on Twitter, which is at the Nick Bradley. Uh, Twitter at the Nick Bradley. On Instagram, it's Nick Bradley Golf. So two pretty easy things to remember there. And my website is BradleyGolf.com. And to get the book, simply just go where everyone else goes. Go on to Amazon.com. Type in Nick Bradley Golf, and you'll see all of my my golf books uh, pop up there. And lastly. Uh, performancegolfzone.com if you want to learn that eight-minute swing cheat and uh, learn about the capitate joint and uh, release a few yards that you probably never knew you had, uh, go to performancegolfzone.com. Well, Nick, it's been great having you as part of this show tonight. You're fantastic. I hope you'll come back and do it again sometime. I will indeed, sir. So uh, thanks for having me on. Stay safe, Nick. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is Nick Bradley, the Nick Bradley on Twitter, Nick Bradley Golf on Instagram. Folks, you got to go check out that video, performancegolfzone.com. Unlock the extra distance. I've been enthralled by it, so I'm looking forward to putting a lot of that to work in my golf swing. And then, obviously, our friends at Squares Golf, you guys know about them. They're, they're fantastic shoes, the best golf shoes I have certainly ever worn and gotten a huge amount of benefit. Uh, since I made the switch as well. Nick's fantastic. Look forward to catching up with him again soon. Before I get to my next guest, Charlie Reimer, let me remind you about a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Two Under. Two Under men's performance briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour, they are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two underperformance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two under performance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA license briefs. I also want to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Pine Valley Orthotics and their owner, Stu Sakowitz. Did your feet Back, knees, and hips stop you from playing good golf or golf at all? Maybe plantar fasciitis or neuropathy is killing your golf game? Then you owe it to yourself to try a pair of Pine Valley Orthotics with a 30-day money-back guarantee. 
Pine Valley Orthotics are uniquely designed with an energy return system not found in any other product. When you step down, they gently spring back, relieving foot pain and stress, energizing your whole body, and they work. I love my Pine Valley Orthotics. I've got them in my golf shoes, and I've got them in my dress shoes. In fact, Stu Sakowitz, the owner, is so sure that they're going to ease your pain, he's offering a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you want better balance and stability, treat yourself to a pair of Pine Valley Orthotics today. Go to PineValleyOrthotics.com, and for a limited time, you can get these for only $99 and a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's only $99. Ease your pain, improve your game, and change your life. Only at PineValleyOrthotics.com. All right, now back with me is Charlie Reimer. You all know Charlie from the wonderful job he did for years on the Golf Channel. He's from Cleveland, Tennessee, which is just a little northeast of Chattanooga. Charlie won the U.S. Junior Amateur Championship in 1985 at Brookfield Country Club in New York in a playoff over Gregory Lesher. Played his college golf at Georgia Tech, where he was a two-time All-American. He was inducted into their Sports Hall of Fame in 2000. Charlie turned pro and joined the Corn Ferry Tour in 1994. Got a big win that year in his home state at the Nike South Carolina Open. He finished second the following week at the Central Georgia Open. Charlie's best finish on tour came in 1995 at the Shell Houston Open when he finished third behind Payne Stewart, who won that tournament in a playoff over Scott Hoke. We've gotten to know Charlie as a broadcaster first during his time at ESPN in the late 90s and then at the Golf Channel starting in 2008 when he co-hosted The Morning Drive. He now hosts the Charlie Reimer Golf Show, which is great fun to watch, and I'm very excited to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Charlie, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, my pleasure, Chris. I appreciate you having me. <clears throat> Listening to you and Nick got me all fired up about this Squares golf shoe thing. And, and I just went online, and this is a story of my life. I'm a size 15, and all the cool stuff, they don't make it in a size 15. I feel uh, uh, like <laughs> I can't ever get anything big enough to fit me, right? Like the cool hats on <laughs> a size 8. You know, they, oh, sorry, we got one size fits all. Well, one size fit all don't fit Charlie. I hope the folks at Squares are listening. And I, I'd love to try this shoe, but you got to come up with something that, that that a big old boy like me will wear. You got to come up with some size 15 <laughs> shoes for us big boys to try out. I'll see what I can do for you, Charlie. I'll see if I can get in yeah. touch with those guys and see if we can get a, a size 15 somewhere for you. They, they look cool. Have they helped your game out? They really have. I got to be honest with you, Charlie. I was as, as skeptical as anybody, and I actually uh, went after them. They didn't come to me uh, wanting to be a sponsor of the show. I went to them because I, t- yeah. I took a look at the shoes and tried them out, and they're the real deal. Uh, you know, as uh, it, it Nick really, talked it, about it really stability, they, they yeah. certainly did a lot yeah. for mine. Yeah, it does make sense. But I, I'll tell you what, it really has shoes of something that, that a lot of people don't think about. And and uh, back when I used to play this game for a living, it's a, you know, on your feet a lot and something I really struggle with, ha- having a big foot. And the other thing is, is like trying to find a sock that's the right size. This whole world, whoever came up with one size fits all, is the same person that came up with a shuttle bus to the rental car company. Uh, it's the worst. That's the two worst things ever. One size don't fit all, and don't make me get on a shuttle bus to go get my car. So uh, anyway, that's my my uh, preaching for the night. So uh, <laughs> it makes me grumpy, all this cool stuff out there, and I can't fit in it. Charlie, when I started doing this show eight years ago, my very first guests on that first episode were Gary Player and Billy Casper. 
which was a huge blessing, but it also comes with a lot of pressure, right? Because there's nowhere to go after that but down. I know you've done several shows, and I believe on the Charlie Reimer Golf Show, your very first guest last year was Jack Nicklaus. Tough to go anywhere from there. What was it like spending time with him? Well, um, you know, Mr. Nicholas, every time I have a chance to spend some time with him or interview him, it's always a special time. I, I've known him since I was about 17 years old, and and uh, he and my great uncle had a, a wonderful relationship. It was a business relationship. They were also friends as well, and, and uh, Mr. Nicholas helped me decide where I was going to go to school and has helped me quite a few times in my career and, and, um, which, uh, he's also my hero. And, and, uh, I, I was there in, in 86, uh, when, when, when he won his last major, the masters. And, and, uh, I could tell you where I was standing and every shot he hit, I picked him up at number 11 and it was just, just an amazing day. And I had just played golf with him a few months before that. So, um, it's it's always special when you get a chance to spend some time with him. But we we were in the middle of the pandemic, and I, and I wanted to get some programming, and and uh, so so I, I reached out to uh, Scott Tolley, who who does most of Mr. Nicholas's PR and other things for him, and and uh, he's like, well, he's really busy, and I said, well, just ask him. So he 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 uh, Scott asked Mr. Nicholas, and he goes, yeah, I'll do something for Charlie. And I told Scott, I said, see, I told you he'd let me. <laughs> He'd come on and do an interview for me, and and so I, I just really had a couple of questions. I, I wanted to wanted him to tell the story of, of that Sunday in 1986 at Augusta, which which I think is the greatest day in in golf, and and certainly is for me, somebody my age, and 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 uh, so so it was really really super neat, and and we released it digitally, and and uh, uh, it 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 really was a lot of fun, and. And uh, the the show has grown quite a bit from there, and and uh, we're now on CBS Sports Network on on Monday nights, and uh, so been been fortunate to have a lot of really cool guests on, on uh, the Charlie Romer Golf Show, and and uh, we've got 16 episodes in season one, eight of them have already run, and they've been doing some reruns, and and our next batch of shows starts um, August 30th. Uh, that's uh, Monday night. We're always on Monday night. We've been airing at 8 p.m. on CBS Sports, and now they moved us to uh, to 8 p.m. And uh, you mentioned Gary Player. Uh, Gary Player came through Myrtle Beach, and we and we tape all of our shows here in the Myrtle Beach area. And and I've, I've been ambassador of uh, for golf here at Myrtle Beach for for several years now, and and that's that's been an amazing experience. But getting to tape the shows here uh, re- really make it special for me. And and. Uh, uh, this show on uh, August 30th is my favorite. Um, I actually spent three days with Gary Player, and he's 85 years old. I'm 53 years old, and he absolutely wore me out. <laughs> he just got <laughs> so much energy, and he's so positive, and and uh, it's just he loves talking to people. And I'm like, Mr. Player, we got to get over here to do this. He's like, Oh, we'll get over there in a minute. I'm like, you know, he'll jump out and give a golf lesson, and and uh, it, it really was. Super neat, and, and I can't wait for for folks to see that show um, on uh, again on August 30th on CBS Sports Network, the, the Charlie Reimer show, and and uh, got got Mr. Player talking about some interesting things, you know, talk a lot of birdies and a lot of bogeys, and and uh, so it, it was a good interview. I think folks are gonna enjoy. It. We've got a lot of great interviews coming up, and and uh, the second half of our season. Um, Spent some time with Joe Namath. I'd never met Joe Namath. What an unbelievable interview he is. And and 
uh, Jerry Rice as well. Sir Nick Faldo got got him teared up a little bit. I can't wait for folks to see that. So uh, re- wow. really excited about about the show. It's been yeah, it's been a lot of fun. That's a good tease, isn't it, Chris? So uh, yes, it uh, is. But um, yeah, so shows a little bit different. Uh, they let me sort of do it my way, which was scary. And when we started taping, I'm like, holy cow, they let me do it this way. Um, so it's, it's sort of like uh, you make a big pot of chili for 20 people coming over to the house, and you love it. And then you get to worried when everybody's coming over, did I make it a little spicy? Is it not spicy enough? I don't know. So <laughs> it's it's, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's hard to hard to get feedback on exactly what people think. But nobody yells at me very much about it, so I, I take that as a good thing. So Charlie, Jack Nicholas is, you know, between he and Mr. Player are my idols. And the mm-hmm. 86 Masters to me is uh, the end for, for the, the greatest golf tournament ever. I'm sitting here with my Jack Nicholas t-shirt on and my Gary Player hat on. <laughs> so there you go. You being on the ground, that's got to be the greatest thing ever. I mean, what was it like? You picked him up at 11. We know he makes the birdie at 11, the bogey at 12, sort of the groan. But yeah. as, as he said to you and he said forever, that might have been the best thing that happened to him. What was it like being on the ground as that unfolded? Well, so so I was uh, in 86. I would have been um, just turned 18. And and uh, I had been going to the Masters since I was about six or seven. And because uh, I, I, I grew up actually in South Carolina, just about, oh, two and a half, three hours away from Augusta up, up near uh, Charlotte, a little town called Fort Mill, South Carolina. It used to be a little town. Now it's grown, grown considerably. And so every year on Sunday, my dad would get tickets and I'd get to go with some of his friends and customers. Most of the time, not with him because he, he was doing a lot of hospitality. He was in sales. And so, uh, he was there the whole week de- dealing with customers, but all the customers were a little worn out, um, by uh, Sunday. So that's how I always got a ticket. And then some of his buddies would bring me down and, and um, so it it always been a special place to me. And, and I was a kid that grew up at a little golf course called Tiga K and then later another golf course called Fort Mill, both in South Carolina. I was a kid that you know worked, worked in the bag room for a dollar an hour and would fill in on Saturday morning when somebody wouldn't show up. And then later on got to be you know, a little bit better player and we'd have some gambling matches and people would come out and watch a little bit, which, which was always fun. In fact, in fact, the first time I, I broke uh, 70. I shot 68 playing a little gambling match. My dad and I were partners, and we were playing a man who was legally blind and a local bookie who uh, only had eight and a half fingers. And some folks came out and watched, and my dad got really mad at me in the parking lot because we lost like $450 and started yelling at me. <laughs> he told me I was going to have to practice harder. I said, I said, Dad, I'm 13 years old. I don't know if you noticed it or not. But I shot 68 today. Again, I'm 13 years old. I've never broken <laughs> 70 before. That's the best round of golf I've ever had in my life. And you're yelling at me because we lost money. Tell me I need to practice more. Don't you think it'd make more sense if you figured out how to bet a little bit better? Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so th- those are the, you know, there's just so many characters around. And, and the characters there at, at TGK, those would be the, the folks that would bring me down on Sundays. And, and, uh, so I, I knew it was a special place and, and it was a different time. You, you couldn't, you know, now you've got Golf Channel, you've got Google, you, you can learn everything you want about any player in about five minutes or watch programming on them and that sort of stuff. But, uh, I'm 53. So when I was, 
you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, you, I mean, you, you could just hearing about Ben Hogan or Jack Nicholas, it wasn't anything you could see. It was just like the people would talk about it, you know, and, 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 and so getting to go and watch them actually play was really, you know, super special. And then now all of a sudden I'm on the grounds watching Jack Nicholas do something really special. Plus I have this now have a relationship with him because he, he had helped me out with some, with some things. And, and it, it was, um, just, surreal uh thinking about it and and the, the shot i mean the shot that he played into 15 i was standing uh whole uh or not whole high but i was standing just a little bit in front of where he was down the fairways where all the trees were around we had the big mounds up the right hand side and he walked down there watch him hit the putt and i went went to 16 and and i stood right at the back of the green underneath the camera position the received shot and and I remember watching the ball launch and looking down at him and 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 watching him pick up the tee. You know, I couldn't hear any audio from where I was. And and um that that made a lot of sense to me that he wasn't watching the ball because when I'd played golf with him a few months before, he told me that he couldn't see the ball after a hundred yards. Uh he had no idea where it was. But he knew that one was gonna be close to the hole. But watch that ball land in that back level location at sixteen. And then from my point of view, you know, look like it's going in the hole just a couple inches short and then spin back and the, and the, the patrons just roaring that, you know, at, at that age, that, that was the, you know, I'm, 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 again, I've just turned 18. I haven't, not even a freshman in college yet. And to be, just to be there and feel that, I mean, see it and hear it one thing, but feel it is, is something completely different. And that's just a, a day and in particular a moment that I'll never did and I, you know, I just feel blessed that I was was able to be there. Charlie, you mentioned all the interviews that you've had an opportunity to do, to do, and I'm sure you've done thousands of them. But one of the ones that I just watched uh, a couple of days ago that I really enjoyed is a guy that you worked with and played golf with, and has been uh, a guest on this show as well, and that's Damon Hack. Um, as yeah. classy and as good a person as you'll ever meet. Talk about your time with Damon. Oh, I just I hope he's I hope he doesn't hear this, but I just I just love Damon. He's he he's uh um and I don't mean this I mean he's a sweetheart. Um and and but but I mean he's a uh very accomplished sweetheart. And and he I mean his his background um is 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 amazing and and uh he he's uh uh, let's see, he is a UCLA, I believe UCLA grad, and I know he's got his master's in journalism, Cal Berkeley. Um, he wrote for, uh, Sacramento Bee, and then he went to New York, and right for the New York Times, he wrote for Sports Illustrated. Uh, ended up, um, I, I think probably somewhere between 20 and 30 cover stories for SI, um, and ended up at Golf Channel, and, and I just, yeah, you know, as soon as I met him, I'm like, me and you're going to be buddies. And, and, uh, just, just very accomplished, uh, but yet very humble as well, which is, is a rare combination in, in, in the world that, that, uh, that we operate in. And, and he loves golf as much as anybody I've ever seen. And he's horrible at it, but that doesn't deter his love. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's like incredibly optimistic 
And and it's like, this is the day. He called me big timer. He calls you a big timer. This is the day. Said, I'm going to break 80 today. I'm like, damn, you've been at it for a long time. I hope it does happen today, but there ain't no way in hell it's going to happen. <laughs> and and uh, he's one of these guys that if, if he wasn't so intelligent, he probably would have broken 80 because every time he does an interview or gets a lesson or somebody on the street talks to him, he'll actually give a shot at that at, uh, and try what they tell him. And so that's, that's just made him, you know, where he's just got too many things going through his mind and he, need, he needs to hit the reset button and go back to, 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 uh, square one. But hi, with highly intelligent people, that, that's really hard to forget. And, and that's, that's, uh, what, what's going to keep him from ever breaking 80. But I hope he does do it one of these days, but he ain't going to do it. <laughs> but he thinks he's going to. <laughs> Charlie, that was one of the questions I, I wanted to ask you is you've talked to just about, I'm sure, every top instructor on the planet over the course of, of your career. How do you not let all of their, you know, because everybody teaches a little bit different. They got a little different philosophy and all that sort of stuff. When they're going through and giving tips and instruction and you're sitting there, how do you block that out from the next time you're going to go play? Like, wait a minute, that guy said that I'm supposed to, you're supposed to do this. And my hand's got to be there. And. I got to do this other thing. I don't do that thing. You know, how do you not let that influence your golf? Well, it's, it's, it's definitely tough. And, and I would say that it has influenced my game over the years. My game wasn't very good. Uh, when, when I got into golf media, um, it wasn't like I was making millions playing the PGA tour. I uh, went, when I had a chance to, to jump over and start talking about it. In fact, I think I'd missed about 27 consecutive cuts and was about busted. So. Uh, what I was trying wasn't working very well, but, uh, and, and gosh, right at 25 years in, in this business, I, I have, uh, talked, uh, from the very, the very top, whether it's on air or off air, Butch Harmon is, a, is the teacher that I hold in, in, in the highest esteem. And I've spent some time with Butch, uh, spent a lot of time with, with, uh, with the late Jim Flick and, and, uh, who's who just, a, he was an amazing man. And, and, um, you know, from Sean Foley, uh, maybe not as familiar now with, with some of the younger teachers because I've been away from Golf Channel for a few years where I would have a lot of these young teachers come in on the show. But it, it, it's interesting to me, uh, and Nick Bradley's amazing. And it's interesting to me that there's the business of teaching golf. There's, there's a lot of great people. I don't think anybody tries to mess anybody up, but we, we tend to celebrate when a player changes coaches and they have some success. That happens a lot less than when a player changes coaches and you never hear from them again. And, and they end up with another coach and another coach and another coach. And, and so instruction, um, it, it's a tough thing on any given day on the PGA tour. You, you've got young teachers trying to make a name for themselves that have big words big technology and they're trying to find a young player that they can uh, work with and help them succeed and make a name for themselves along the way. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, you, you've got other teachers that are out there that are looking for the players that are lost and confused and are trying to get them to forget everything that they've ever learned and go out and play the so-called caveman golf. So for, for every, you know, Bubba Watson, there's there's a Justin Rose. That's the two ends of the spectrum. And and it it's uh um teaching is a tough thing. I, I've had back to back days doing live shows where 
I would have uh, Dave Stockton come in. Um, uh, Dave Stockton Jr. and I played a lot of golf together g- growing up, and and uh, Mr. Stockton was around quite a bit, and I absolutely love him. Man. Great players, won two PGA championships, and it's take the back of the left hand down the line with a putter. And Jack Nicholas is his guy. And and Dave, right now, he could take anybody you could think of out the range or the putting grade. And if you want to putt for $10,000 a hole, he's going to take all their money. And and you hear him describe how to putt. And, okay, yeah, I got it. You know, and you're fired up. Well, the next day you have Brad Faxon come in. and He's like, well, the last thing you want to do is take the back of your left hand down the line. You want to release the putter. Tiger Woods is my guy. And Brad Paxton can take anybody you can think of on the green for $10,000 a hole and, and take all their money. And he, you're going to say Jack Nicholas does it wrong, or you're going to say Tiger Woods does it wrong. They're polar opposite ways. And and so it's every aspect of the game, from, from driving the ball to bunker play to everything. It, it, there's just different ways to do it. And and there's teachers that are adamant, and they've got all of these facts now and all this technology to measure everything and the psychology and the uh, there's so much stuff going on that my conclusion is this. The very best players in the world believe so intensely in what they're doing that even if they believe in something that is not a very good method for them, that belief is stronger than actually having a, a, a method that's, that, that's perfect for them. And, and that, that's what I find that great players have in common is this, irrational belief in themselves. And as long as they don't let anybody in, they're good to go. The problems start when they start allowing players and caddies and coaches and all these other folks to come in and break that sort of that trance that they're in. And and um it, it's it's just a crazy thing. I mean, how many times have you seen someone come out and I'll just, I'm not picking on him because I think he's wonderful, but Luke Donald, not a very long hitter, worked his way to number one in the world, got to number one. Rather than continuing to work the formula that got him to number one in the world, kept pushing, trying to correct some things that he thought were flaws. In his case, was trying to pick up some distance. And I haven't looked lately, but I bet Luke Donald's not in the top 150 in the world. And and if he had just continued doing what he was doing and not let anybody in or not really gone out and sought more information, he might not still be number one in the world, but he wouldn't be where he is now. And and so it, it's it's just a it's a tricky, finicky, weird thing golf is. And as soon as your mind gets a little bit off track, it it's it's hard to get it back where it was. It's like if you ever had a brand new car that you love and you got a kid and you let them um have a bunch of ketchup in the back seat on their French fries and they <laughs> spill it all over the upholstery. That car is never going to smell the same again. And, and a lot of times golfers, <laughs> when they let teachers or coaches or caddies inside, their brain is never going to function the way it did again. It's permanently stained. And, and it's, it's just interesting for me to observe that. But that's my conclusion. Believe in what you're doing. That belief is more important than whether it's actually factually correct or not. Did Tiger fall victim to that same thing? You know, if he hadn't uh, tried to been tinkering around, I mean, my goodness, you you can't win the U.S. Open by many more strokes. But then he, you know, he starts tinkering around, and the next thing you know. And you know what, Chris? That's that's a great question. But some some players, I'm not going to give his name, but I had a player and a coach come in to do a show, 
And and I asked him, you know, well, how, how do you hit a cut? And he's like, I don't know. Ask my coach. Well, I can tell you for a fact that Tiger Woods, uh, whether whether he was working with Butch or whether he was working Hank or whether he was working with Chris Como or this this latest run where he didn't work with anybody, he might have got some eyeballs on what he's doing, but he never turned over the key. <laughs> he was he was the one making all of the calls, and and so it's almost like for him a teacher was a tool, and and um, but he he never. He never gave up the idea that that was still all about him all the time, and 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 sometimes when these players they 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 turn themselves over to a coach or a coaching team, that's that's for me that's very cringeworthy. I, I was recently up speaking at uh, the Western Golf Association Women or uh, Women's Amateur uh, at a great club in Chicago, Park Ridge, and a lot a lot of great players there. They're gonna have good college careers. And, and I'm sure quite a few of them are going to get to the LPGA. And my message to to those players, and and really anytime I speak to younger players, is take ownership of your game. It's your damn game. It's not anybody else's game. You got to take ownership of it. And and I, I and I it just yeah, maybe maybe it dates me a little bit, but I, I just I, I've never seen I've never seen a teacher hit a shot. I've never seen a caddy hit a shot. The player is the one that's hitting the shot. And and they can get information from other places, but they're the ones that are executing the shot. And it's a team to some extent, but not as it, it, not not to an extent that I think a lot of members of the media would want people to know. Charlie, you've interviewed not just the greatest players in the game of golf, but other athletes as well. And you've had them out on golf courses and you played and, and chatted with them. Who's the most intense? person that you've ever sat down and chatted with? Ooh, the most intense. Uh, I had a really bad interview with Kevin Costner one time and, and, uh, <laughs> I think maybe I caught him on a bad day. Um, he, he was pretty intense. Uh, uh, Bill Murray can be, he hasn't been with me, but Bill Murray can be a tough interview. He, he can be, uh, definitely yeah, super intense, but, um, I, I most of the time, if, if given a chance when I'm interviewing somebody, it, it, I, I will do. It's a little more difficult when it's a, when it's a live interview, but I, I want people in in a relaxed sort of uh, place. And so, in a pre-interview, I, I'll mess with them a little bit, and and uh, just to, to to sort of get them to smile a little bit and and because i want them to enjoy the interview i'm I'm not trying to do anything that's going to change the world and i and i think by and large when you're interviewing somebody especially if i'm interviewing them it's going to be a little bit on the lighter side i mean if i have to i can get into you know the the tougher subjects but that's not really my default my go-to i I want someone i want their expertise i want their personality to come through and i've found that that if it's in a relaxed state they'll do it um i'll give you an example one year it had probably been, gosh, I don't know, uh, 99, 2000. Jack Nicholas was playing his tournament at the Memorial in Muirfield, and, and he had a really nice round on Friday, and he made the cut. It's probably the last time he made the cut. You know, I was doing some work for USA Network, and, and I went to interview him live. It was late in the day. And, uh, you know, he's my hero, but he's not very tall. 
especially when, when he's standing next to me. And he was pretty, he can be pretty intense. And, and, uh, something had him riled up and I was trying to calm him down a little bit. So I intentionally, we were on a little bit of a slope. I intentionally stood above him, you know, so I'm a, I'm a good, like 18 inches taller looking down at him. And we're about 30 seconds to interview and I can't repeat what he told me. You can guess, but, um, I'm like, Hey, Mr. Nichols, we're about to go on air. Uh, maybe we should change positions here, you know, and he looked straight up at me and, you know, I get there, you know, <laughs> and then we changed and he looked at me. We were close to eye level and then the interview went and it was great. You know, it was just three questions, the post round, but, but it was, it was great. But if I had sort of let him below me and he's looking up at me, not number one, it wouldn't have looked very good, but, but I just took the opportunity to sort of loosen things up a little. And I, and I think I got a little more than I would have gotten normally. And, and, uh, uh, but the it, it, intensity part of it, um, and some, sometimes if you get somebody in a winner's interview, they're, you know, they're, they're emotional, they're intense. My issue is I'm, I, 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 I can sort of get sucked into emotion a little bit. Uh, my, my several times when I would, um, do the, the interviews after a, a young golfer, uh, had won their age division and the drive chip and putt on 18 green at Augusta national. Some of the answers I got just, just absolutely made me tear up. And, and, uh, I'm, I positioned myself to where I didn't have a camera look, looking right, you know, right at me because that wouldn't have been good. But, um, it, it's, uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's, uh, sports is emotional and, and we all get caught up in it. And especially if you know how hard it is to actually win and how much work has gone into it. How many down days there were, down times there were for a lot of these players that, that break through. And if you know all of that, and I, I'm a little empathetic anyway, and get caught up in it, I get a little bit of emotional, uh, a little bit of emotion going. And 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 at times I've been criticized for it. Uh, when Tiger Woods uh, did his press conference the first time he spoke to the world after uh, the fire hydrant incident, and he went went up to uh, to uh PGA Tour headquarters and and had a mea culpa right there with everybody in the world watching and his mom and uh, right right after they took the camera off him they went back to their golf channel studio in Orlando and put a camera on me I was emotional and and I had a lot of people say, oh, it's ridiculous you're crying for for the uh uh yeah you know, Tiger Woods, he ruined himself, this, that, and the other but I, that's not what I saw and and when when he had that mea culpa and um, and, and I had a lot of people privately and offline come up to me and say, you know what? I was a little emotional over that as well. So, um, it, it's hard to stay neutral. Sometimes it's hard to, to keep your emotion in check, even though you're supposed to, when you feel like you're right in there and you're feeling everything and it's your job to get in an interview, it, it's something you got to be aware of and, and keep in check. And for me, it's, it's been a challenge at times. Charlie, just a couple more before I let you go. Um, I know you're involved with one of my sponsors, the Macklemore Club, up in Rising Fawn, Georgia, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Talk about the course and what brought you to Macklemore. Well, um, so I, I split my time. I'm in Myrtle Beach quite a bit as an ambassador for golf down here, having grown up in South Carolina. Uh, and, and I love coming to Myrtle Beach and representing the golf courses down here. But at the same time, I was born in the Chattanooga area. And and all my family uh, li lives here in the area, and uh, I've been fortunate to be a member of a great club there in Chattanooga for many, many years, and, and that's sort of always been my getaway place. And and um, and and 
when I was a kid, a lot of times in the summer and all the holidays and all of that, there's a lot of rhymers in the phone book in the Chattanooga area, believe me. And, and uh, so a project uh, that had actually struggled for a while, it was on Lookout Mountain, it was originally called uh, uh, Canyon Ridge, uh, just really couldn't quite get over the hump. And, and, and a great group of folks up there that, that grew up in the area uh, decided that uh, we we think it's one of the best areas in the whole country, and and they invested in it, and they took the original golf course and and had Bill Bergen and and Reese Jones redesign it, and as you know because you've seen it, they've really turned it into something special. It's it's a just a wonderful golf course, and uh, the 18th hole is is a hole that people talk about because on certain days you're actually playing above the clouds there, and and the only problem with the 18th hole is, is um, it gets all the attention, but we've got another 17 that are really very good as well. And we've we got enough altitude there. We're at about 2,400 feet where uh, we, we can keep bent grass and, and on our greens. And they're firm and they're fast all year round. They don't get stressed out by the heat. And, and it, it's just an amazing place, uh, new, new clubhouse there and a lot of things. Uh, just stand by. A lot of great things are coming at Macklemore, but for me, it's it's amazing that Lookout Mountain runs about 40 miles north to south. The the tip end of it, the northernmost end, gets into Tennessee a little bit. Good bit of it's in Georgia. Good bit of it's in Alabama, and it runs pretty much right down the Alabama state line. Um, and and um, so it's you know, parts of it are Georgia, parts of it are Tennessee, and parts of it are Alabama. And I've driven by that mountain literally thousands of times. And and had no idea that it was that beautiful up on top, away from Rock City and all of the things that, that people uh, go there for for tourist reasons. And it it just feels like a the last great place in the southeast. It's undiscovered. And being two hours from Birmingham, two hours from Nashville, and and and, and a little less actually than two hours from Atlanta. And I, it's like, are you kidding? This has been here all this time, and and I've been by it. I didn't even know that it was here. And and so every time I go up and spend time on the property or the surrounding areas, I find find something else to to fall in love with, from the hiking and the biking and the trails and the waterfalls and just uh, sitting on some of these old ancient rock that we have not even rocks. I call boulders. Um, it, it's just an amazing place and, and it's right in the middle of everything. And, and, uh, folks are going to discover more and more about it and, as we move along, but it, it's, it's really neat right now. But again, there's some great things that are going to be happening in, in Macklemore up on Lookout Mountain real soon. And we can't wait to, um, help people discover, uh, Macklemore, get up there and spend a little time up there because just like me, I think people are going to fall in love with it. And Charlie, as you mentioned, you're an ambassador for Play Golf Myrtle Beach. Talk about some of the courses that should be on our bucket list for those of us here in the Southeast that know that it's there and we know there's a lot of golf courses there. What are some that we really well, got to go play? Well, when you, when you come to Myrtle Beach, what I tell people, you go to playgolfmyrtlebeach.com and, and that's really helpful because we have so many golf courses. We're basically from Georgetown, South Carolina up to maybe about 10 miles in, into North Carolina. Um, there, there's a whole bunch of communities in that, in that 70 mile run. I, I sort of refer to the whole area as Myrtle Beach. Some of the locals like me get a little upset. Well, we're, we're Myrtle's Inlet or we're, we're North Myrtle Beach or we're Surfside Beach. Well, 
if you're not from around here, it's all Myrtle Beach. And, and, uh, there's basically, uh, 78 golf courses in, in that 70 mile, uh, run. And, and the, the real key is if you're coming over to play, you, you need to pick the golf courses that are close to where you're staying. And, and so if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna stay down south, you need to play down south. So, you know, in, in that area, you'd, you'd want to look at, at True Blue and Caledonia and Pauly's and, 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 uh, TPC Myrtle Beach. If you're going more towards the middle, uh, you, you'd look, uh, um, you would look Dunes Club is, is sort of our, it's not our granddaddy. Pine Lakes is our granddaddy, but Dunes Club is one that's, that's our, our, um, most pedigreed golf course in the area. And, and if you, um, uh, Grand Dunes also is, is more in the middle. And then if you're heading up north, you'd want to look at, uh, Barefoot Resort, which is an amazing place with, uh, 72 holes and, and Tidewater is also beautiful. But we also got a lot of little hidden gems in there that you have to just sort of look at. But if you're, Booking to play the golf courses down south and you're staying up north, you're going to have an hour commute. And that's what I don't want people to do. I, I want to make sure people have a great experience. So uh, make make sure you understand the, the geography a little bit and, and where the golf courses are and try and stay near where you play. And if you do that, you're guaranteed to have a have a great uh, vacation. We've got wonderful places to eat, got a lot of live music and uh, so much going on. But please, if you're coming, do do some planning ahead of time. We've got a lot of folks out playing golf right now, which is wonderful for the game. But but don't try to book for next weekend. If you're trying to book for next weekend right now, you're a little late. In fact, if you want to come in the in the spring of of twenty twenty two, you better go ahead and get online right now because if you wait much longer, it's gonna be really hard to get the accommodations that you want and the golf courses that you want. And and we we've just got so many folks coming here to play golf and Golf courses are in great shape. We're getting a ton of play and, and the golf courses are reinvesting some money and, and, and the golf courses are making them even nicer. And, and so it's a great time to, to come to Myrtle Beach right now. Charlie, how can our listeners stay up to date with you and check out your show and then follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Well, I appreciate the question. You can always go over to playgolfmyrtlebeach.com. There's a lot of links to what I'm doing and what's going on at Myrtle Beach. Uh, we also have a lot of information over at charlierimer.com as well. And uh, the big thing is, is make sure you, the watchers, set your DVR for uh, Charlie Reimer Golf Show uh, Monday nights on CBS Sports Network at 8 p.m. That's Eastern time. But I think they run it again uh, a little bit later, so it's also at, uh, 8 p.m. on the uh, West Coast as well. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a hoot having you here. You always make this segment so much fun. I can't thank you enough for doing it. I appreciate it, Chris. Make sure you talk to the folks over there at Squares and get them to make some size 15 shoes. I want to try them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on that for you. I promise you, my friend. Stay safe. All the best all right, to you and your great. family. Look forward to catching up soon. Appreciate you having me. Thank you. Take care. See you, Charlie. That's a great Charlie Reimer. And again, folks, his show, the Charlie Reimer Golf Show, is probably the most fun golf show that you'll ever watch. Charlie, like he said it during the course of the conversation, he makes the interview just so sort of informal and fun. It's, uh, and he's got great guests. So every time you watch it, you're going to smile. You're going to laugh. You're going to learn a little something about the guests, learn a little something about golf. 
he just does such an outstanding job. I can't uh, thank him enough for coming back and being a part of the show. Hopefully, we're privileged enough to uh, to get him back again soon. Okay, before I close up shop tonight, I want to remind you again, like we talked about earlier in the show with Allison Fillmore, tickets are on sale right now for the Tour Championship at Eastlake here in Atlanta. The tournament will be held September 2nd through the 5th. Eastlake, folks, is one of the most prestigious and beautiful golf courses in the country. If you've never been to the tournament, you're going to be wowed by the course, the amenities, and how well you're treated there. Go online to tourchampionship.com and get your tickets to watch the top 30 players on tour this season decide who will be the FedEx Cup champion and who walks away with the $15 million first place check. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks again. Go out to Tom Patrick, Allison Fillmore, Nick Bradley, and Charlie Reimer for making the show so much fun tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are former PGA Tour player Tim Simpson will be back on the show. Tim is always fantastic. As is PGA Tour caddy and another great friend of the show, Kip Henley. Paul Stankowski's brother Tom will be making his Next on the Tee debut. Tom is a great player as well. Really looking forward to having him as part of the show. And then we're going to round it out with Hall of Famer Dennis Walters. And folks, if you're not familiar with Dennis Walters' story, please go look it up online. It's a really inspirational one. Really looking forward to having him as part of the show. So it's going to be a good one. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Audioboom, Player.fm, Podcast.co. If you've got a favorite podcasting app, I'm sure we're on it. Folks, thank you again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I can't tell you how much it means that you have Next on the T as a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.